Welcome to Industry Focus, the show that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. Today we're talking energy and industrials. It's Thursday, 14th of September, and as promised, we're going to be discussing the airline industry. Joining me in the studio is Motley Fool contributor Adam Levine Weinberg. Adam, thank you for stopping by, uh, especially when you're just about to go on your epic European tour slash US adventures. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me in. I'm no glad problem. to be here for one, one last time. How's the, uh, well, I'm sure you'll be joining us on Skype, I hope. I hope so, yeah. yeah uh, from the West Coast. Yeah, it's not so, quite the same, though. No, it's not quite the same. And it'll be a lot earlier for you, too. So I hope you're uh, Yeah, it will right be. Yeah. Um, so today, uh, the US, we're going to be talking about the US airline industry, as we uh, kind of primed for last week. Um, the industry has had a pretty bad reputation and has been avoided for decades by investors. Uh, looking through the numbers, it's clear to see why the sector suffered combined losses of $52 billion between 1977 and 2009. Um, Warren Buffett even went so far as to call the industry a death trap in 2013, famously, or now infamously after <laughs> yeah. his change of tune. Um, however, we argue that the industry today is not what it once was and may in fact deserve a second look by a lot of investors. So this is a huge topic, and I just briefly want to cover uh, to offer some background. Um, I believe the history of the airline industry is pretty fascinating. But <laughs> yeah, it certainly is. Yes. Um, so it looks a lot different now to how it has done in the past 30 years. A lot of M&A, some successful, some not so successful. Um, a lot of deregulation in the 1970s really ushered in a new era of competition and cheap uh, transatlantic travel offered actually by British airlines pressured the US companies to lower prices. So you had a lot of new carriers entering the market, opening new routes and dropping fares. Unsurprisingly, this forced a lot of uh, carriers to fold or succumb to takeovers, which is why you kind of have the environment that you do that was created. Uh, at the end of this, um, and after the recent US airlines and American merger, the top four major US airlines left standing are American, Delta, US, and Southwest. The top four have gone from a combined market share of 68% in 1990 to around 85% now. So, Adam, traditionally, as we've said, the airlines industry has not been interesting to a lot of investors. So if someone wanted to take a fresh look at airline stocks, what industry basics should they be aware of? Yeah, so as you uh, just mentioned, the top four airlines now, uh, American, Delta, United, and Southwest uh, combined, have about 85% of the U.S. market. Um, and it, that, that figure sort of varies depending on how you measure it. But the, the point is that they are much, much bigger than the rest of the competition. Behind them, you have Alaska Airlines and JetBlue, um, which each have about 5% of the market, and then the rest is you know, pretty small carriers, obviously. You have some interesting ones like Spirit Airlines and Frontier Airlines that are these really deep discounters. Everything is a la carte. You pay you know, for just a seat on the plane, and mm -hmm. if you want extra leg room, you pay for that. If you want a drink, you pay for that. If you want to bring a bag, even just a carry-on bag, that costs more as well. So you have a, a bunch of different business models, but um, the, the four top airlines in the country really do dominate the market right now. Um, so that has made it a little bit easier for them to... Uh, to earn money, and uh, of the four, historically, Southwest Airlines has been consistently profitable, and uh, the other three, which are the larger carriers um, with the big international networks, um, and they also are the ones which serve small communities in the United States as well, they have historically been death traps for investors, as, <laughs> uh, as Warren Buffett said. Um, but the interesting thing is that Warren Buffett, uh, through Berkshire Hathaway, now owns uh, nearly 10% of all four of those top airlines. Yeah, he so invested $10 billion, right? He, he put a lot of money into yep. the industry, and so we'll take a look today about um, wh why it is that he did that. So uh, for in terms of the investment highlights, I think the on the cost side, the two things to be aware of 
are uh, labor costs and fuel costs, which represent the bulk of um, of airlines' cost structures. If we were doing this show uh, four years ago, I would say that fuel costs are by far the most important. Um, but with the the way that oil prices have come down in the last several years, um, especially since 2014, that's changed. So it used to be that uh, most airlines were spending between 30 and even up to 40 percent of their revenue a huge on amount. fuel. Yeah. Um, now it's generally in the 15 to 20 percent range for most of these carriers, and so it's definitely an important uh, an important cost factor. But when fuel costs go up by by 10 percent, it's now it's no longer the sort of thing that takes an airline from being profitable to losing billions of dollars. Yeah, I think we should also uh, comment that labor costs have been increasing. Um, I think it was in 7% yeah. year over year last year, and that's kind of been absorbed. They've been able to absorb that cost because of the oil price fluctuations. Yeah, and so that's true, that basically the savings, some of the savings in fuel costs has been offset by increases in labor costs, and you see that particularly on the pilot side. For a lot of these airlines, the, the pilots alone, uh, they could be... Uh, 15% of the labor force, or maybe 20% mm -hmm. at most, um, but they're making 40% of the payroll, uh, yep. or close to that. So, Which I'm okay with. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you want your, your pilots to be making enough money that uh, that they're happy and yep. uh, well-rested and content and, and going to yeah. fly the plane well. But uh, it does mean that they have a lot of bargaining power, uh, and so you've seen pretty uh, substantial wage increases for pilots to the point where the the wage rates for uh, the captains with experience flying overseas routes, um, the wage rate is over $300 an hour at most of these carriers today, um, which is a lot higher than it was just five years ago. It sounds it sounds incredibly high. Uh, I think when you consider the fact that there's not, not actually that many people available, that's, that's the reason that I think the talent is kind of constricted. And then also, it's not... Um, it's not the pleasant job that I think a lot of people think it is. It's a lot of traveling. It's a lot of being away from your family. Yeah. Um, so yes, absolutely. That's, that's playing a huge role. And then you mentioned earlier low cost competitors such as Spirit, um, uh, Sprint. Sorry, Spirit. Spirit. Yes. Sorry, you, you got it right the I've first got, time. I got the telecoms on the brain. Um, I think the the unbundling of services is something that we're definitely going to start to see on these uh, the the higher tier carriers too. Yeah. So I guess sort of going off of that. Um, on the revenue side, one of the interesting developments of the past uh, 10 years, and it's continuing to develop even today, is how uh, airlines have gone from being all the same in terms of the way that they price their product into being quite different. Uh, and so you see that with, uh, on the one hand, you have Southwest Airlines, which is the biggest domestic carrier uh, in the US. It's got about $20 billion in revenue. And while uh, that's about half of what Delta, American, and United bring in, those three carriers have these massive international networks as well. So Southwest, uh, if you look at them, they don't charge for bags. You can still check two bags for free. Uh, Carry-on bags, of course, are free as well. They don't have any change fees. So uh, if, if you want to change your itinerary, even up to the day that you're traveling, you do have to pay any difference in the fare between what you purchased and what uh, flight you changed to. But you can cancel or change with no penalty. And that's completely different from the other airlines, which typically will have $150 to $200 change fees. They'll charge you $25 to $35 per bag that you check. Uh, and they have a variety of other fees. So Southwest has really stood out by having this uh, bundled product where there's no hidden fees, and they really promote that in their advertising. 
And I think they really appeal to the leisure traveler. Um, and yeah. I, th- I think there's two really distinct categories of travelers for, for airlines. Business travelers tend to be a lot more brand loyal. Um, they're into the rewards program. Um, they're a more lucrative traveler. Uh, and then leisure, obviously much more price sensitive and yes. tend to be uh, price loyal. Um, but as you said, Southwest, without having any of the hidden charges and often being price competitive too, um, makes an attractive proposition for people. Yeah, and then so at American uh, Delta and United, as I said, they've they've started adding these bag fees and high change fees. But what they've also started to do more recently is they're dropping a lot of their fares in the lowest fare classes. So airlines, just to be sort of very quick side note, airlines have very complicated pricing structures. Um, revenue management is a science that they really focus on, and so they're trying to figure out how can we squeeze the most money out of each flight that they can, and that's not by necessarily by charging high fares across the board. They'll charge. They'll try to figure out basically on a customer by customer basis how much that person's willing to pay, um, and charge that fare. So, if you book really far in advance, you're probably a leisure traveler. Business travelers don't know their schedule four months ahead of time, and so those fares tend to be low. And then when you get very close to the date of travel, um, the fares can go up quite substantially. More recently, you've seen Delta, American, and United introduce these basic economy fares, where they've taken even more perks out of the um, fare structure. So, for the American Airlines and United Airlines uh, versions, that goes as far as you're not even allowed to bring a carry-on bag at all. Uh, And they do that so that people who are needing the carry-on bag, especially if you're a business traveler, you want to get off the plane quickly, you don't want to check your bag, you're going to have to by the next fare class up. And so that's a way of them of uh, allowing these carriers to match a low-cost carrier's flight. So they can say, we're offering fares as low as $49 in this flight. And so somebody's really price sensitive, they'll snap up that fare. But a lot of people will buy up to higher fare classes, and so they'll be able to maximize revenue um, while still offering low fares for the people who really want that. Yeah. Uh, and, and most of the airlines seem to think that that's sort of necessary, that they they don't want to give up all that traffic to uh, companies like Spirit Airlines uh, and just only get the people who are willing to pay $150, $200 one way. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think it's also worth mentioning um, first class travelers are kind of obviously the most lucrative uh, part. And uh, if they they generally make up about two thirds of the revenue uh, per flight, is that right? It depends. Okay. Um, it depends on the route. Yeah. Um, there are some that are very leisure leisure heavy. There's others that are very business heavy. And a yeah. route like New York to London, like that's going to be you're going to get business travelers in the um, paying for the business class cabins because they want the lie flat seat. Uh, and in that case, you do have a lot of the revenue coming from a pretty small portion of the passengers. Yeah, and a lot of the uh, the big Boeing airlines they're very first class heavy. I think. Uh, yeah, for uh, the overseas the, flights, definitely. Yeah. Um, so. Like a lot of people, I have to fly to go see friends and family. Um, and from a leisure consumer perspective, as we've talked about, for me, there's not much in there's not much difference between uh, the carriers. But from an investment perspective, what do you think is kind of the better buy for investors now? Yeah. So uh, historically, uh, clearly, Southwest Airlines has been the best of these four by a long shot for investors. It's the only one that hasn't gone bankrupt uh, in its history. <laughs> so that, that that sort of gives That's it the yeah the the, um, the crown very easily. Um, and I think that Southwest Airlines is still a pretty attractive company um, for investors to own. Uh, it Its strategy of being different than everyone else in terms of trying to have friendly service, uh, only flying one type of plane, it's all Boeing 37, 737s, rather, and 
having the uh, no fees, uh, relatively low fares, it's really worked. Um, the company has consistently high profit margins, and it still has plenty of growth opportunities. The fact that it only flies one type of plane does limit uh, what kind of routes it can fly, because the 737 doesn't have the range of the, the big wide-body planes that are used for long-haul flights. But there's still a lot of room, um, especially with the next generation of planes that uh, Boeing has just started to uh, to produce. They have more range um, just because they're more fuel efficient. And so that will allow Southwest to go a little bit further, um, possibly add new routes. Um, one thing that's been talked about a lot, for instance, is Hawaii. Mm-hmm. So Southwest is definitely a good um, combination of steady cash flow uh, and significant growth opportunities. Turning to the other three, um, Delta, American, and United all have very similar business models. Um, they're all really focused on trying to uh, win business traffic in their main hub markets. They run these hub-and-spoke networks where you uh, they, they fly to all kinds of little cities where other airlines basically they you know don't want to uh, try to compete because they're flying larger planes that don't really work there. Uh, and so Delta, American, and United are trying to sort of aggregate traffic from all of these different little cities uh, and from major cities around the U.S. and then connect uh, in their hubs to everywhere else in the country and then also to international destinations. So it's a much different business model than pretty much everyone else Mm -hmm. in the market. Delta really, well, I I read that Delta claims they invented the hub and spoke model in around the 50s. Is that Uh, right? I'm not sure actually about that. That, It seems plausible. Mm -hmm. Um, Atlanta has been a big hub for Delta for a very, very long time. Yeah, Uh, And it's still the biggest hub in the the world actually for passenger traffic. And most people, if you're connecting that, then you're experiencing the, the uh, hub-and-spoke model. Yeah, as exactly. Yeah. Um, but among those three, while they are very similar in terms of how they do business, um, they're quite different in terms of their financial profile. And uh, Delta Airlines is by far the most attractive one for investors, and especially investors with a long-term outlook. Uh, they have a much more, what appears to be a much more sustainable business model. Um, they have much higher profit margin. Uh, they uh, tend to they actually benefit from the fact that they are less unionized than the other two carriers, mm-hmm. um, which gives them a little more flexibility in terms of how they operate. Uh, and they also have much, they're much more disciplined about uh, capital spending. And so their free cash flow is also much stronger than the other airlines. So um, just looking at last year's numbers, Delta, um, Delta America and United, by the way, are all about the same size. And they each have roughly $40 billion of annual revenue, give or take 10%. Um, but while they're all the same size in terms of revenue, Delta produced $6.1 billion of adjusted pre-tax income last year, um, whereas American was a billion dollars behind that at $5.1 billion, and United was even um, further back with $4.5 billion of adjusted pre-tax income. Looking at uh, cash flow, the difference is even greater. Uh, Delta produced free cash flow of $3.8 billion last year, uh, compared to less than $1 billion for American Airlines uh, and $2.2 billion for United. Yeah, so clearly they're ahead. Uh, I, I think yeah. I think a lot of that speaks to the general discipline and kind of learning from past mistakes. That I, mm-hmm. especially CEO Richard Anderson, I feel like he really bought in a lot of uh, long-term outlook. Um, you know, in, investing in minority stakes with overseas carriers and and those kind of things, and unarguably um, buying vert- vertical integration with the refinery too. Mm-hmm. Um, is something that has been up for debate, whether that was a good idea or not. But it certainly shows um, long-term thinking and risk-taking, too. Yeah. Um, so Richard Anderson was the former CEO of Delta. He just moved on about a year ago um, and got replaced by his long-term, uh, long-time number two at Bastion. Uh, and they really did a great job um, navigating through the recession, 
uh, a big merger between Delta and Northwest, um, which is a company where Richard Anderson had actually previously been CEO several years earlier. Um, and those, uh, they basically put the two companies together, figured out how to wring out as many efficiencies as possible from the merger. It was really, really successful. Um, they basically took two companies that weren't doing very well, were both in bankruptcy, in fact, not that long before, um, and made it into the, um, one of the most profitable airlines in the world. Um, the, as you said, they, they bought this refinery in Pennsylvania about five years ago. Um, it's been a really interesting move uh, to try to hedge against fluctuations in refining margins. A lot of airlines have historically hedged their uh, oil hedged against oil price changes, um, which you can very easily do um, with derivatives. You can buy um, futures uh, on crude oil contracts, and it basically protects you against changes in oil prices. But the problem is that that only is one part of what goes into the price of jet fuel. You also have the refining margin that goes on top of that, and that's varied pretty widely between it could be five dollars. $5 a barrel, it can be $20 a barrel, just depending on conditions. Right now, Delta is actually benefiting there because uh, Hurricane Harvey, just uh, last month, knocked out a lot of the refineries down on the Gulf Coast. Delta's refineries kept operating, and so it's allowed them to um, not see the full price spike um, that has affected all of the other airlines, um, and which has caused a lot of airlines to reduce their margin forecasts yeah. in the past week or so. I think a lot of people were critical when uh, he made that move. Um, given the fact that what's happened with the oil industry since then. Uh, but at the time, I do think that it was a, a kind of a far-sighted decision. And honestly, w- you know, we don't know how long uh, the projection for the oil market. So f- long term for Delta over the next kind of 50 years, I think it's probably going to be a good idea for them. Yeah. And they bought this refinery for about $150 million. The um, sellers just wanted to get out um, for basically any price. And so it's a very small investment relative to the amount of money Delta is dealing with on it's, a an annual basis. Yeah, it's about the same cost as a Boeing seven eight seven. Right. So. Yeah, and it's you know, you know less than a month worth of profit for them. So if they have to close it because it eventually doesn't work out, they can do that, and it's not you know it wasn't a big long term risk because they just weren't putting that much money into the project. Yeah, you touched on. Um, the employees, them, them being less unionized than a lot yeah. of uh, their competitors. Um, I think I, I like the way uh, that they, they run their business with regards to their employees. They have a profit sharing program. They hand out their profit sharing checks on Valentine's Day, which yes. <laughs> I think is great. Um, and obviously that, that benefits, that shows benefit in the uh, bottom line too, with the fact that they don't have to deal with a lot of these uh, unions that have traditionally caused labor prices to go up, as we talked about with the, the pilot union. Um, do you think this is something that kind of makes them stand out from the other two that we've discussed? Yeah. So just to sort of dig in a little bit there, it's, um, Delta's pilots are unionized. And as I mentioned, pilots do represent a pretty uh, high proportion of the overall cost. Um, so they do have that cost pressure there. And they've also been giving actually quite generous raises to the rest of their employees as well, because they want them to keep up um, with the, the rest of the industry, frankly, because they know that if they they get paid, you know, if they are giving inferior pay to their employees, then they will be unionized soon enough. Yeah. Um, and so... So it's not that they're getting huge cost savings um, from uh, from sort of bullying their employees who aren't unionized, uh, but it gives them a lot of flexibility. Just with a union contract, there's lots of rules and procedures and things that are meant to protect the employees, but it can, um, when something unusual happens, it makes it harder to react. You have to go renegotiate the contract, say, you know, facts have changed, we need to change this process, and get, it can take years sometimes to do that. Um, it may have to wait until... The next round of bargaining is scheduled for a new contract, and so for Delta, just having being able to change the work rules um, 
in a uh, sort of more streamlined way um, has definitely um, been good for them. And you know, if you look at, at for instance, their their maintenance personnel, most people you know, who follow the industry would agree that Delta has the best maintenance um, tech ops team is what they call what they call it um, in the the industry. For years, Delta has had the oldest uh, fleet of any major airline in the country, and yet it also tends to have the lowest maintenance costs um, on, a, on an available seat mile basis. So it basically shows that they, they know what to do. They also have the best reliability of the three top carriers. So they've figured out ways um, to, to basically innovate and make sure that they can provide a reliable product without having to... Uh, spend a lot of money on updating their fleets, and this is a r- big reason why um, American United have s- are so, so far behind in terms of free cash flow. Uh, part of it is the lower earnings, but part of it is because they're putting tons of money into um, fleet updating projects, especially since they've started to become profitable in the last few years. But the result is that they're putting basically all of their money into uh, in- into these fleet projects. Um, and that, you know, a, a narrow-body plane could cost you $40 million. A wide-body plane is going to run you uh, maybe $150 million. For When you look at the capital spending, American Airlines has been spending about $6 billion a year, um, which is 15% of its revenue just on, on fleet and other um, technology and capital spending of you know that sort. And uh, s- sorry. Yeah, go ahead. And Delta is is starting to invest a little bit more in their fleet. Is that right? Yeah. So Delta um, has has started to uh, accelerate some of the retirement of its older aircraft types. So it has a lot of uh, McDonnell Douglas McDonnell Douglas MD eighty eights, which were built uh, in the late eighties to early nineties. So those planes are now, on average, a little over twenty five years old, and that's generally considered sort of the the beginning of the end um, for for planes in the airline industry. You can keep them running longer, but the maintenance costs tend to go up. Um, It becomes less efficient. They're also, just in terms of fuel efficiency, the technology is uh, 1980s technology. And and so there's there's definitely much better um, technology available today. So they've they've started to um, retire those planes. And they also have some some other older models that are coming out of the fleet um, over the next five years or so. But they're doing that from a much better basis than the other two, right? A so much they, better so, solid form. So they they're starting with you know better cash flow. Um, they've they've instead of trying to get the sort of newest, most you know fuel efficient, best ever planes, um, they have been trying to not bottom fish, but they're they're looking for deals. Basically, what planes are manufacturers trying to sell? So. Uh, Bombardier, which is a struggling Canadian plane maker, they've they're coming out with a, a new plane that just um, became available within the past year, uh, the C series, and they were really struggling to find a sort of flagship customer. So this is considered like one of the most revolutionary planes to come out in the last decade. Uh, but Delta got a really good price um, to the point where Boeing actually filed a complaint um, with the government saying that um, Bombardier was dumping these planes in the U.S., um, <laughs> selling them wow. for too low a price. Um, so Delta got got these this uh, 75 plane order at a really good really good deal, um, which will be very useful for their um, routes with lower traffic. And then they've been buying a bunch of planes from Boeing and Airbus, um, their largest narrowbody models, the 737-900ER and the uh, A321, which have very good unit costs, but they're outgoing models that are you know it's basically like buying last year's model at the auto dealer. Um, mm-hmm. You get a, a big discount because they're looking to get rid of them before they bring the new models in. Yeah, and I think a lot of airlines have the flexibility to do that because um, 
newer airlines and newer airline en- engines are getting more and more fuel efficient. And yeah. I think there was a huge push in the aerospace industry to get the most fuel efficient jet engines possible uh, when oil prices were high. Right. Uh, oil prices have come down, obviously, since uh, kind of 2014. And now they have the luxury of running uh, older models for longer because they, the fuel price is, is OK if it's less efficient. Um, and then also, as you said, not getting the most efficient model, which was really the main reason people would be buying this year's version. Yeah, and you have to sort of balance the the additional capital cost of buying a newer model. You know, it might cost you ten, fifteen million dollars extra up front uh, because there's big, you know, massive wait times for these n- newer planes. Whereas you can get the older ones, you know, on a much shorter lead time and at a at a big discount. And so you have to weigh that cost savings against the longer term fuel cost savings. And right now, it seems like for for many airlines the older models um, look like a better long-term deal because you're not saving enough money on fuel to justify upgrading and getting the 12% or 14% fuel efficiency gain from getting the latest technology. Okay, awesome. So bottom line then on uh, Delta, Um, you think it's worth a second look by investors based on the fact, yeah, solid balance sheet, um, great long-term leadership. I think Ed Bastian taking over uh, was a great move for kind of a continuation um, of what had already been happening. Uh, any other points you want to make to uh, any wannabe investors out there? Uh, I think that uh, free cash flow is the, the, the main thing to keep an eye on with, with Delta. They obviously are going to be ramping up their capital spending a little bit in the next uh, year or two, but they're going to get some significant long-term benefits, and um, the capital spending should moderate uh, after 2021 or thereabouts as they go back to a more normalized pace of um, fleet replacement. And so um, as long as that happens, I think that Delta Airlines looks like a really compelling um, investment opportunity right now. Awesome. I would 100% second that. Thank you very, very much uh, for coming and sharing all your airlines knowledge with everybody. So thank you very much, Adam. You're very welcome. Um, Well, that's it from us today. If you would like to get in touch, please feel free to email us at industryfocus at fool.com or tweet us on Twitter at MFIndustryFocus. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. For Adam, I'm Sarah Priestley. Thanks for listening, and Fool Long.